Okay, what brings the family of Herod into the scene? That's what we're going to look at now. How did Herod the Great come onto the scene? There is tension in Israel until, uh, until 37, from 63, which is where we are, to 37. Hyrcanus II and Antipater II, who's an Idumean, share rule in Judea. One of the ways that the Romans kind of kept control is they could split the rule among local rulers, not giving anyone too much power, and that way uh, they kept control. Uh, Hyrcanus II is called an ethnarch. Antipater II is called a procurator and has responsibility for collecting the taxes. Rome controls through this division of authority, and in 43, Antipater is poisoned. His son Herod, that's Herod the Great, and Phasael become tetrarchs. Both families support Caesar and gain the above appointments. The Hasmoneans have been limited in their authority and have been divided uh, in terms of the kind of rule they are permitted to exercise. Antigonus, a Hasmonean and Aristobulus II's son, defeats Hyrcanus in 40, cuts off his ear. Why do you do that? That disqualifies him for the priesthood. And Phasael, Herod's brother, is killed. Antipater, or Herod, Antipater's son, flees to Rome, gets family protection at Masada, is appointed king of Judea by Rome, but doesn't take control until 37. It takes three, because of the chaos, it takes three years for the Roman appointment to establish itself. That tells you how chaotic things are. There's political chaos, but religious freedom. The high priest and the Sanhedrin are controlling the religious issues in Israel. Now, during this time, Rome also is under chaos to a certain degree. Octavius and Mark Antony are sharing rule until Octavius, and Octavius is Augustus. Augustus is the figure of the first century in history. He is the most powerful emperor since Alexander. He will almost equal Alexander in the, the uh, land that he has authority over, and he is a ruthless, shrewd, and brilliant administrator who actually pulls the Roman Empire together and lays the foundation for the solidity of the Roman Empire by his rule. From a political standpoint, in terms of savvy, you cannot say too much about Augustus. Octavius equals the name Augustus Caesar. He rules from 27 to A.D. 14, which makes him the emperor in power when Jesus is born. Rome consolidates its power, first under Anthony and, uh, and Augustus, and then ultimately Augustus defeats Mark Anthony as Mark Anthony becomes an ally with another figure whose name I'm sure you've heard, the Egyptian queen Cleopatra. This is where Cleopatra fits in. Mark Anthony and Cleopatra are defeated at Actium in 31 BC. In a naval battle, they survive, but their army is decimated. And they flee to Egypt, where they are run down, and once cornered, they commit suicide. This ends 
The second, what's called the second triumvirate, the first triumvirate was the shared rule between Pompey, Julius Caesar, and Crassus earlier. It ends the period of Roman, of Roman civil war and the Republic dating back to 133 BC and now the emperors rule directly. So rule was shared in Rome up to this point. Octavian, Julius Caesar's nephew, is the one who is victorious and he becomes a monarch, Augustus Caesar, in 27 BC. I'm gonna show you a clip in a second that's gonna talk about what led people to acclaim that Augustus should be the singular ruler of Rome. He rules until AD 14. He establishes the Pax Romana or the Roman peace, which allows aqueducts and road systems and everything else to be built, censuses to be taken, the empire to be organized so it becomes a social and political behemoth in political terms. There's a new international stability and it, it's at this point that Jesus is born and, uh, and Christianity emerges. Now here is probably one of the most famous pieces of sculpture uh, involving Augustus. This, uh, this is in Rome today. You can go see it at one of the museums in Rome. And, uh, and this, is, uh, this is Augustus um, dressed basically as a religious priest, a Roman priest. Pontificus Maximus. He is the chief pontiff. If that terminology sounds familiar, okay, it is because when Rome fell and the church became the power in Italy, all those titles went to the Pope. Here's the mausoleum of Augustus located in the heart of Rome. Across the street from that mausoleum is a shrine to the Pax Romana, including a written out copy of the Res Gestae of Augustus. Augustus, before he died, wrote a chronicle of all that he accomplished for Rome. It was like a short autobiographical summary of his achievements, okay, and that summary is um, etched onto a wall in Italy, in Rome, along with a shrine that was, uh, that was erected in honor of the Pax Romana. It's called the Peace Pavilion of Augustus. Now it's been built around today to protect it, so the ceiling part of this is new, but the old part of it is old. That makes sense, doesn't it? The old part of it is old, okay? The, the part of it on the ground. So Herod the Great comes to Palestine, to Israel. He recaptures Jerusalem in 37 BC. He beheads the last opposing Hasmonean, Antigonus, in 37. And he becomes a client king who is indebted to Rome for his power. Now, Herod had a problem at one point. When Mark Antony was fighting Augustus. Herod had made the judgment to support Mark Antony, which, when Mark Antony lost, produced a problem for Herod. 
because it's not a good thing to support the loser in a two-way Roman battle. Because if you support the one who loses, you become a loser, okay? And you can lose more than losing, okay? You can lose bodily parts, okay, like heads, okay? So it's not recommended to support a loser in a Roman battle. So after um, Octavian has defeated Mark Antony at Actium in 31, Josephus recounts a meeting that, takes, that took place between Herod and Octavius in which Herod has got a major problem because he's meeting with the guy he opposed who now has the power. He spoke so to Caesar that he had the greatest friendship for Antony and did everything he could that he might attain the government and that he was not indeed in the army with him because the Arabians had diverted him, but that he had sent him both money and corn, which was but too little in comparison to what he ought to have done for him. For if a man owes himself to be another's friend and knows him to be a benefactor, benefactor is a key term in the culture, patron kings, uh, patrons, um, patrons are called benefactors by those who serve them. Knows him to be a benefactor, he's obliged to hazard everything and to use every faculty of his soul, every member of his body, all the wealth he has for him in which I confess I have been too deficient. So he's sitting here and he begins by saying, I wasn't a good enough friend to Mark Anthony to help defeat you. However, I am conscious to myself that so far I have done right and I have not deserted him upon his defeat at Achium. I am a loyal friend nor upon the evident change of his fortune have I transferred my hopes from him to another, but have preserved myself, though not as a valuable fellow soldier, but certainly as a fellow counselor to Anthony when I demonstrated to him that the only way he had to save himself and not lose all his authority was to slay Cleopatra. And now he's turning. And he's saying, I gave him advice. And the advice was that he should get rid of Cleopatra. Now you need to understand that Cleopatra, as an Egyptian queen, was incredibly unpopular in Rome. One of the ways that Augustus got negative opinion on Mark Antony was to portray him as a defector to Egypt because of his relationship with the Egyptian queen. For when she was once dead, there would be room for him to retain his authority rather than to bring, bring you to make a, com a composition with him than to continue at enmity any longer. You could work out an agreement. None of which advices would he attend to, but he preferred his own rash resolutions before them, which you have happened unprofitable, which have happened unprofitably for him, but profitably for you. Now, therefore, in case you determine about me and my alacrity in serving Antony, according to your anger at him, I know there is no room for me to deny what I have done. Nor will I be ashamed to acknowledge, and that publicly too, that I had a great kindness for him. But if you will put him out of the case and only examine how I behave myself to my benefactors in general and what sort of friend I am, you will find by experience we shall do and be the same to you. For it is but changing the names and the firmness of the friendship that we shall bear to you will not be disapproved by you. 
brilliant. <laughs> Nothing short of brilliant. He walks in and he says, I supported Mark Anthony. There's no way I can deny it. I was the best friend I could be. I even gave him advice that he didn't take that was in his best interests. And I promise you, I will be as much a friend to you as I was to him. And Herod the Great's power is preserved through that action. It's a pretty interesting period of political intrigue in terms of what's going on. Under Herod the Great, he had 10 wives and seven sons. Succession becomes a problem as he alters his will six times. There is heavy taxation and there is honoring of Rome, including the uh, raising of eagle standards in certain parts of the country, which becomes close to being the rising up of an image. Very controversial whenever it happened during the Roman Empire in Israel. There are three key sons. This is the modern version of my three sons. There is Archelaus, who rules in Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. There is Herod Antipas, who becomes Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea and is the one who hears the case of Jesus down the road uh, when um, Pilate sends him to Herod to get uh, local expertise on what's going on. And then Philip, who is Tetrarch, who has the north and area north and east of the Sea of Galilee. The effects of Augustus's presence is there is some peace and prosperity uh, aside from some of the chaos that's going on at the top. Augustus has established peace in the Roman Empire and Israel is a beneficiary for the most part of that peace except for some political intrigue among the upper echelons. The country is fortified and there is more Hellenization. There is loyalty to temple worship but little else in terms of religious development. And the foreign associations have left the nation untrusting and uneasy and looking for a deliverer, as the Psalms of Solomon attests. It is here that Christ's birth fits in to our equation. And it is here that we are introduced again to the key figure of Augustus.